A true queen is made not in times of prosperity, but in times of hardship. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan. Joining me is Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And that quote that you heard, talking a little bit of royal, but I personally think there are going to be some layers to this quote when you review this episode. It's by Marissa Meyer, and it's from Arch Enemies. Kind of an interesting way I fell upon this quote. I was looking for something to talk about sugar because it's post-Halloween. And then I thought, well, maybe honey. And I was going through this, and I found this quote, which has nothing to do with sugar, nothing to do with honey, but something sentimental, a little bit of a tribute to the late Queen Elizabeth II as well, Um, but a lot of sentimentality around leadership, about femininity, and just about the importance the importance of what makes you a leader and what makes strength what it is in leadership and resiliency as well. So take with it what you will, but I thought it was something great to start the month off and the episode off on. Now let's take a look at the CELA homepage. We check out the featured titles, three of them on the homepage of the Center for Equitable Library Access, which you can check out at celalibrary.ca. The three titles on there are The Winners by Frederick Bachman. This is a humorous fiction title. The second one is The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream by Dean Job. True Crime that we highlighted last week and did a bit of a pause or play. Third featured title is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. Multicultural fiction for you. Now, we haven't done a trending story in a while. So, Nasreen, we come over to you because you have something that's making audiobook news. Yeah. So, Prince Harry had earlier revealed plans to publish a memoir, which will be available towards the end of the year, of this year. And, but, however, the audiobook version will be released in early 2023. But guess what? They announced that Prince Harry himself will voice the audiobook version of his memoir. So what do you think of that? Very nice. I love his voice. I'm just thinking back to to hearing his voice, hearing his presentation style. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of public speaking. Uh, and he's been on a, a, a couple of different shows, <laughs> just kind of casually, like yeah. with James Corden. And I really loved um, his, his presentation. I don't know about his read, though. With audiobooks, you always got to wonder a little bit if their read is going to be good and with celebrities uh, and influencers coming on and reading their own memoirs that's always a question so I'm curious about that and the content I'm curious I'm definitely interested about the content how about you Nisreen? I think he's gonna have a lot to say about it so I'm pretty excited to get into this book uh so it's I feel like there's gonna be so much to uncover Mm. for this Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited. And as you said, his voice, his presentation gives it all. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are going to be looking forward to this. Agreed. And especially because when you say there's a lot to uncover, uh, there has been a lot to uncover about the royals with Harry 
kind of taking center stage, Harry and Meghan, uh, for the last several years, right? This recent time period of all the changes that are going on with them, the transitions of their life and their move and their kids and uh, news and announcements of what they're doing and just sitting down and coming out to us uh, as, I guess, audience um, to, to say hey, we want to let you in on some of the things that are going on. So we can only imagine that he's going to give us more context, more depth, and more background to that. Uh, let's let's keep posted on that one and the release of it and also the commentary around media and, um, and literary folks on what they think the book is going to be like. We're also going to check in with our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access as it is the first episode of the month. They're going to tell us some literary news, including the Governor General Awards. And we're also talking featured books in recognition of Transgender Awareness Month. This is AMI Audiobook Review. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And once a month, we get into chats with our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access. Uh, we chat about Sela every episode when we feature their titles on the homepage. But once a month, at the beginning of the month, Karen McKay and Teresa Power join us with some literary news and some featured titles. So Teresa is the content and access librarian. Karen is the communications manager at SELA. And welcome to you both. As always, we're going to start with literary news. So Karen, give us the scoop on some of this uh, award. We keep, we, we keep talking awards because it's pretty much awards season now. It is very much award season right now. So one of the big ones was just announced in mid-October. That's the Governor General's Awards. Those are the shortlists that were announced. The winners will be announced November the 16th, and each winner receives $25,000. So it's a big purse for this one. Mm. And we work with the Governor General's Awards to make sure that there are accessible versions of the shortlisted titles for three of their major categories, which are fiction, nonfiction, and young people's literature in the text categories. They actually do seven categories in both French and English, so 14 in total, but we do three of them. So I'll just do a really quick rundown of what's up for the uh, the shortlist. So fiction, we've got All the Quiet Places by Brian Thomas Isaac, and that one was also on the Canada Reads 2022 longlist and the 2022 Scotia Bank Giller Prize longlist. So it's, it, it's in contention for sure. There's Finding Edward by Sheila Murray. There's Probably Ruby by Lisa Bird Wilson, and she actually has won two uh, 2022 Saskatchewan Book Awards. So she also is an award-winning author. There's Pure Color by Sheila Hetty, and that's also on the Giller Prize longlist for 2022. And the last one in the fiction category is called The Most Precious Substance on Earth by Sashi Bhatt. And then in nonfiction, we have five. We've got uh, Aki Wayne Z, A Person as Worthy as the Earth by Eli Baxter, and that's a debut book. Uh, we also have All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days by Rebecca Donner, and that book won the National Critics Circle Choice Award for Biography in the U.S. We have Generation Dread by Britt Way, Persephone's Children by Rowan McCandless, 
and Rehearsals for Living by Robin Maynard, who wrote White Fragility. Folks might be familiar with that book. And her co-author is Leanne Simpson, who's also an award-winning author in her own right. So really an interesting collection of books. Um, and you've got about um, two weeks, maybe. So you better get reading if you want mm. to get these books read before the, the awards are announced. And as you said, just, most of these books, or at least some of them, I recognize they've been getting uh, recognition all around. So really, yeah. really wonderful to hear that they're, they're yeah. continuing. These ones have a nice collection of books that are sort of well-known in the marketplace and ones that other folks may not have heard of before mm-hmm. or authors that might be new, which I really love about the Canlet selections is that you can get exposed to both new authors and also get in conversations with books that some of your friends or colleagues might have nice have read so yeah so that's great another one I just wanted to bring up quickly is the First Nations Community Read Program and this is an award that maybe doesn't get as much recognition as it deserves so these books are chosen by a jury of Indigenous librarians so that's close and dear to our hearts um, from across Ontario and they represent the very best of Indigenous literature and the adult selection for this year is called Indigenomics, Taking a Seat at the Economic Table by Carol Ann Hilton. And it's about the benefits of um, an emerging Indigenous economy and how it's built around relationships and um, careful stewardship of resources. And so I think it's an important book because it's one that, you know, we need to be having these conversations, but it's not been addressed in the marketplace very well that I know of. So I was really pleased to see that one nominated. Amazing. Well, we'll keep our eyes on these uh, titles and these awards and you'll keep us posted next month on any more that comes up with literary news. But now we want to get to this month's featured titles. Um, They're in recognition. The ones that you and Teresa, Karen and Teresa have picked are in recognition of Transgender Awareness Month. So we'll start with this and we can talk about the significance as you list them. Teresa, can you tell us about the transition baby and this is a novel by Tori Peters. Yeah absolutely uh, so Detransition Baby um, focuses on the lives and relationships of um, three main characters. Uh, the first one is Reese who is a trans woman and the former partner to Amy. And now Amy has detransitioned to live as a man and became Ames. And his lover, and the third person is his lover, Katrina. And she is a biracial cis woman who is also his boss. So the book itself actually transitions from um, past to the present day. And we learned that Reese and Ames have an estranged relationship because of Ames's decision to uh, detransition. Uh, but now he finds himself in a bit of a conundrum because his current partner, Katrina, is pregnant. And Ames has um, conflicting thoughts on his ability to be that, you know, that traditional kind of masculine father figure to his child. And he wonders if they could actually bring in Reese as a parent, especially knowing that Reese has longed to become a mother herself. Uh, If you read any commentary from the author um, about this book, she said that she just wanted to write a book that was relevant to her life at the time of writing. Mm. So the feeling is that from from her and, and, and reading this is that while this book does have trans characters, it's also just a deeply funny story about, you know, relationships and finding yourself. And, you know, if you're in your 30s and you have, 
yet to find that kind of quote unquote conventional life of, you know, being married and having a child and having that picket fence. You know, I think this book and its characters will really resonate with you because they're trying to find their way outside of that norm themselves. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, that definitely sounds interesting. And especially in that aspect of uh, dynamic relationships, changing relationships, adapting, and then, um, yeah, the comparison factor as well. Karen, how about readme.txt, a memoir by Chelsea Manning? Yeah, so this book was just released about two or three weeks ago now in mid-October. And folks might remember the story of Chelsea Manning. So uh, Chelsea Manning worked in the as an intelligent agent in the U.S. uh, Army in Iraq in 2010 and disclosed uh, military documents and secrets that she'd smuggled out via a memory card on her digital camera. The Army then went on to sentence her to 35 years in military prison, charging her with 22 counts related to unauthorized possession and distribution of classified materials. And on the day after her conviction, Manning declared her gender identity as a woman and she began her transition. And then in 2017, uh, President Obama commuted her sentence and she was released from prison. So in her book, she recounts how her pleas for increased institutional transparency and government accountability took place right alongside her fight to defend her rights as a trans woman. And I think that that's the really interesting uh, commentary here in this book, the, the need for transparency, both in her professional life and in her personal life. So as an intelligence analyst, she worked with you know, very sensitive information and had to make moral sense of knowing quite um, disturbing details about things that other people didn't know. Well, at the same time, she had to sort of sift through a lot of information about both internal and external about who she was and who she wants to be and how to take responsibility and be transparent about that. So the book sort of plays on both sides of this conversation. We learn about her challenging childhood, her struggles as an adolescent who um, who then joined the military, and the, the real pride that she took in her work. And if you remember the story, she was often not very favorably portrayed in the in the media. And so this book gives us a more nuanced picture of who she is and how she dealt with gender dysphoria all her life and how she struggled with abuse and poverty before joining the military. We also learn more of the political side about how and why she made the decision to send classified military documents to WikiLeaks. And it outlines for some of us, myself included, who may not know all the details, some of the really heartbreaking videos and information that she had to view and and carry. Um, and I think that's why she, you know, one of the reasons that she decided to disclose this information. I think that the book gives her a way to offer context that was really kind of lacking in the mainstream coverage and it was deliberately downplayed by her um, by her adversaries. The book is really, it, it sort of humanizes her as a person. It gives us a fuller picture of the, um, the person that she was. She was often portrayed as unstable or freakish. And uh, it also is a commentary on the actions of the government that I suspect we may not want to know more about. It deals with her time in prison, her suicide attempts in a way that's really forthright and insightful. But I think at its core, it really showcases the bravery of her as a transgender individual in the midst of institutions that were really aiming to destroy her. And it opens our eyes to a better, more compassionate way, I think, of being. Uh, so it's both an important book for the political realm, but also for trans awareness. Mm. It's interesting, right? That journey of having to um, deal on such a, a large level, um, what that decision of, you know, 
coming clean or uh, exposing mm. or, you know, letting it, people know. Um, but then also what that does for you for personal impact. And that yeah, there's really a parallel track in this book, which I think is makes it interesting, both for those who like to learn more about politics, but also those who are supportive of trans yeah. Um, awareness. And it, yeah, it's just an interesting book, an interesting time in history as well. Okay. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, highlighting that one. And Teresa, the next one on the list is The Family Outing, and this is a memoir by Jesse Hempel. Yeah, so The Family Outing is um, a really funny, I don't want to say tragic, but um, a funny, very interesting memoir about the author's own life uh, growing up and what seemed like a very traditional middle-class family in the United States. Um, her mom was a homemaker and she raised the kids and took care of the kids and everything like that. Um, her father worked high up in a Fortune 500 company and traveled a lot and, um, and uh, served the family in that way. But everyone seemed to be struggling in the family, um, not just um, the siblings, who were um, growing up and had changes in their bodies and, and didn't fully understand, but also saw their mother changing. She became increasingly erratic. And you know their father became largely absent in their lives. And as the years went by, um, it turns out that almost all of her family members eventually came out. So Jesse, the author, came out as bisexual, her sister as bisexual, her father is gay, her brother is transgender, and her mother um, is actually a survivor of a traumatic experience with an alleged serial killer. So all this happens, all these family members come out and the family kind of implodes, it sort of unravels. But the story is actually also about how they came back together as well. And it was during that time of coming back together that um, Jesse asked her family members if she could write this book about how they all came out. And it was actually during COVID and dealing with um, having to um, isolate from others that they as a family kind of um, came back together and Zoom talked and, and kind of leaned on each other um, during the pandemic. So I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting story considering how many people were struggling in the family and how many people came out. But it's also, I think, a, also a great story about how um, they were able to rebuild their family and their relationships just um, in a different way now that they were, um, now that they were all out. Yeah. Yeah, finding new ways to kind of connect or, or mm -hmm. I, I don't know, for some families it was reconnecting, right, and, and feeling that strain of the pandemic. But for other families like this one, maybe it was just finding each other at all. Right. And having to do that through the pandemic. I haven't read too many um, books that were released during the pandemic or um, to be more specific, talking about the pandemic and the impacts um, being directly showcased in the, the writing. But mm -hmm. fam family dynamics is mm -hmm. are, are interesting to think yeah. about that aspect. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about 
about this family. I mean, they all kind of knew each other one way growing up, right? Yes. And it wasn't until Jesse was, um, I think like an adult at least, uh, maybe like a, a teenager or an early adult where at that time, everyone had eventually um, come out in her family and her mother told her story. And so they're kind of during the pandemic, um, I think finding each other um, in a different way and maybe like in, in a better free way now that um, they're all living their lives, their, their true lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, um, quite the transition, definitely. So we have one more book to highlight for this episode. Karen, can you tell us about The Last Chairlift by John Irving? Absolutely. So first, I'll just say that Teresa and I debated a little bit about including this title versus another really wonderful book called Love Lives Here by Amanda Jette Knox. And you might be familiar with her. She, uh, one of her children transitioned and then within about a year, so did her spouse. And so the book details the the transition that her entire family went through, how it altered even her own concept and her role in the world. And so if you're interested in, in this topic, this is one of the books we'd highly recommend because it's a first person memoir and it's really important to have those stories on those lived experiences. But there were a couple of reasons that in the end I chose to feature The Last Chairlift by John Irving. Uh, one is that it's a new book. It was just released a couple of weeks ago and it does feature a transgendered person as one of the key characters. When I dug a little bit deeper, I learned that John Irving uh, has a transgender daughter who's also a writer and who worked on him with the first draft of his book. But, and there's also another reason, uh, but I'll, I wanna tell you a little bit about the story first. So the story centers around Adam Brewster, who's the main character. He's an only child born in the 1940s. His mother is Rachel Brewster and she was a slalom skier in the national downhill and slalom ch- championships in 1941. And while she was there, she got pregnant with Adam and she comes back home to New England and becomes a ski instructor. And Adam grows up as an only child in a very non-traditional family. He's got a, a gay cousin. Her girlfriend is a pantomime. He has a grandfather who doesn't speak. And he uh, has a number of community members, friends, families, neighbors who belong to the LGBTQ community. One of Adam's goals is to find out more about his uh, biological father. Adam's mother marries Elliot Barlow, who's the English teacher at Adam's high school, and she's hoping in part that that relationship will offer Elliot some protection and sort of a safe space, or sorry, offer Adam a safe space. But it turns out that Elliot is transgendered, and during the novel goes through with the surgeries that change uh, his gender, and so she then turns out to be the best stepfather that Adam or any lucky kid could ever dream of. In the usual Irving style, there's a whole eclectic cast of characters. And if you dig into their relationships and their lives, you see Irving's real brilliance, I think, at commentating not only on our society uh, and on the characters' lives, but also there's a real thread of the evolution of sexual politics over the past 80 years, which I think is a really important thing to be thinking about. Um, Adam is one of the only straight characters in the book, and he seems to be sort of lovably one step behind everyone else, which means that the LGBTQ characters are the ones that are caring for, protecting and leading versus often what we see, they're the ones struggling for power or space in a story. And that's sort of why I chose chose this book to feature. I remember hearing Jesse Wente talk about his award-winning book, Unreconciled. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna very badly paraphrase what he said, but in the conversation, he said that he wanted to do two things with his book. He wanted to recognize really painful history of so many indigenous survivors and the true need for meaningful reconciliation 
And he wanted to also not only talk about that, but about the beauty and the joy that's interwoven into Indigenous lives and culture, and to really normalize more of a multidimensional view that shows the reader a fuller picture. So there's lots of books that deal with specifically the trauma of residential schools and the very real and sometimes painful journey of transitioning for the trans transgender community. But this book, I think, you know, it brings something more. Irvin's created a real um, believable trans character that's in many ways the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. And we see Elliot's transition, but we also see this character through a broader lens that fully incorporates community and family and work, and it shows both pain and joy. It's not about a trans character per se, and that's part of the reason I wanted to bring it to it. It just, it creates this really beautiful space, giving light and um, a real presence to a wonderful character that is wonderful because and despite of the fact that they are trans and it does this all in the 1960s and wow. you know not in today's sort of more trans aware and potentially slightly more trans friendly culture and so I think that that's an important piece of this book in general also I'm just a really big fan of Irving he has said that this will be his last long form book as he's in his 80s now and if you pick it up you'll be I think really captivated by his storytelling it's tragic it's comic it's insightful it's compassionate and has a few really interesting, powerful plot twists. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that these characters will stay with you for, for a long time. And that's, I think, important, especially when we're talking about trans awareness, that you fall in love with these, these characters. The intention behind this book seems really, really powerful, and and especially the time frame um, and the author's need for wanting to write it. Karen, Teresa, thank you so much. We've covered a lot today, all kinds of perspectives in recognition of Transgender Awareness Month, and we appreciate all the featured titles and the literary news. We'll chat with you in December. Thanks so much. Thank you. Karen McKay and Teresa Power from the Center for Equitable Library Access joining us on the first episode of the month. That's it for this week, and we will check back in with you next episode. Until then, happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.